0: Everybody's going for those kinky boots, kinky boots. Kinky boots, it's a manly kind of fashion that you borrowed from the roots. Borrowed from the boots, kinky boots.
1: Hello everyone, and a very warm welcome to another edition of Kinky Boots. I'm Ken Moss. I'm Simon Exton.
2: Hello, I'm Alex Wilcock.
1: Yes, welcome aboard, Alex. It's nice to have you joining us on the podcast. This week we're going to be looking at Series 1, Episode 23 of The Avengers... Dead of Winter. Before we begin, Dr. Exton, do you have a precy for us?
0: I do indeed, and as always, I'm taking this from Dave Rogers' The Ultimate Avengers. Dr. Kreutzer has developed the means to suspend life by deep freezing. This new discovery could help the neo-fascist Phoenix Party seize power. Kiel discovers that the ex-Nazi Schneider was the first guinea pig. Steed and Keel visit Mortry to find its attendant, Doctor Brennan, dead. Schneider's body has disappeared. To get to the bottom of things, Steed arranges for Keel to join Phoenix as a replacement for the doctor they, ex- they are expecting. Doctor Kreutzer shows him Schneider's body, which sits up and winks. Doctor Kreutzer knows Keel to be a fraud, however, and only Steed's timely intervention prevents his colleague from becoming the next victim of Schneider's chilling plot. Close the
1: door, Philip. Well, doctor, what do you think of my surgery? It's an unusual one. It has an unusual function. Who's on the slab? Remove the shroud, really? Okay, doctor
0: May I introduce our future leader,
1: the formerly frozen Hans Gerhard Schneider.
2: Guten Morgen.
1: This episode was recorded on the 18th of October 1961 for transmission on the 9th of December 1961 at 10pm. And it was broadcast in the ABC Midlands, North, Anglia, ATV, Southern, Counties Television Western Wales, Ulster, Westward, Border and Grampian regions. Uh, by this point it seems that Scottish television had dropped out. The video doesn't exist, the episode is lost, although there is an audio reconstruction on Volume 4 of their Lost Episodes range by Big Finish, and that's from the original script written by Eric Pace and adapted by John Dorney. There is a full, clean script for this one, so that's, been, that's what's been adapted.
2: Yes, I've got a script for it in PDF, which I think is from the Series 1 and 2 DVD release.
1: It was actually, uh, Where it was
2: originally titled The Undead. I was
1: going to say there's a rehearsal t- uh, script that exists called The Undead, and that was dated 28th of September, which is from the British Film Institute collection. Uh, there are 116 publicity stills for this, uh, which only exist on contact sheets, and there are 79 telesnaps. Gosh. Existence-wise, there's, there's quite a lot to go off for this uh, in, in terms of reconstructions. There is a, a video reconstruction somewhere on one of the box sets, because all, I think now all of the, the missing episodes have had uh, reconstructions done by Alan and Alice Hayes, and they're certainly on the Studio Canal Complete Series box set that both Simon and myself have got but the availability of this and what they've had to work on is quite good. So I'm, I'm assuming that the big finish adaptation is quite close to it. Do we have any alumni for this?
0: We do. Um, we have a couple of Doctor Who alumni. Um, John Woodvine would go on to become the marshal in the Armageddon Factor. He'll turn up three more times in the Avengers and also appeared in Knights of God, The Tripods and Edge of Darkness as major characters. Neil Hallett was Malin Rennis in Timelash, will turn up twice more in The Avengers and twice in The New Avengers, and was the regular character Tony Miller in Ghost Squad. Norman Chappell will turn up in five more episodes of The Avengers and started his career as an extra on three episodes of Quatermass in the Pit. And finally blaze Wyndham, we have already seen in double danger and the radioactive man and will go on to have a role in the andromeda breakthrough
1: so at this point gentlemen we can now start discussing the story itself first and foremost alex since you're the guest what did you think of this episode
2: uh i think it's fascinating i know that there was a nazi in it Um, but when i when i started listening to it i was really taken aback by how strikingly ahead of its time it was i'm not quite sure it's the best of the season one it might be but it's certainly the most ambitious it's it's one of the biggest plots of the whole show i mean it would be a huge story for any season of the avengers it's really unexpected this early it's is very much a sign of things to come. And I really like the way it builds from one thing to another until you're going, crikey, it's threatening world annihilation. And that's a bit further than you expect from a series that has been about smuggling and, uh, and escape prisoners.
0: I agree. I'm I'm not sure that the recurrent Nazi threat is a, a bit ahead of its time. I think, I think there was stuff co- cropping in sort of uh, mid to late 50s because... Then, 1961, we'd only be 16 years after the Second World War. But with it being a full 16 years, that means that you've got pretty much an entire generation of late teenagers, early 20s, who wouldn't really have an awful lot of recollection of the war. There would have been young children at the time.
2: That's very fair. I was just thinking in terms of the size of plot that the Avengers was dealing with at the time.
0: Um, now, I think what two things that this is a first for. First, it's the first out-and-out out science fiction story we've had in The Avengers. Okay, there, were, there was science in Nightmare, but this is front and centre science fiction. And secondly, it's the first of the Nazis in cryogenic suspension storylines that will become more and more common as the Second World War gets further and further away. So by the time you get into the 70s, sort of um, Eagle's Nest and um, Hitler's Last Secret and shows like that, it's recurrent Nazi threat with cryogenics thrown in.
2: But it's interesting that at this stage, the cryogenics are less about uh, a way of making old Nazis live 40 years later than just... Well, and the way that I thought of it the first time I heard it, I mean, you never know where writers get their ideas from. But I remember thinking, um, I bet that Eric Pace had gone into a supermarket and thought, oh, that's interesting. This beef has been exported from Argentina. You know what What used to be exported from over here to Argentina? And, uh, and so the whole freezing plot was born. Or maybe just his mm. pun on the Nazi trail gone cold.
1: See, my mm. take on it, I was I was bored by the first two acts. Because all the way through, all I could see was this is another basic Nazi Fourth Reich story, which at the time would have been relatively, I won't say new, but it won't have been done to death like it was in the following couple of decades. However, you get to the cliffhanger of Act Two, where the body wakes up, and all of a sudden, it twists on a sixpence, and it becomes, oh, hello, what's this? I mean, bear in mind, the science was questionable and it was a little bit skimmed over but uh it was um i suspect at the time an interesting twist and i, I wouldn't be surprised if it hadn't been tried before by that point
2: yeah I, mean, I agree with you on the science by particularly with the radiation but i really like that it tries i mean there's the line about um But how did you deal with the ice crystals? So they've, they've at least thought of some of the problems with refrigeration Mm. and the whole idea of treating a body literally like a slab of meat. That's cold.
0: Yes, and there's the bit at the end where Willie, who's been the, the first person to, that this procedure's been used on, and they say to him, well, actually, it was an experiment that didn't work, and you, you're going to die pretty soon. I couldn't work out that whether that was a bluff to get him off guard, or whether they'd actually buggered up their experiment with him.
2: That's interesting. I, I got the feeling that it was real and was just part of the way that they were treating him with contempt. Uh, Though I did wonder Mm. at one point whether it was going to be a cowman, like in uh, uh, Daleks in Manhattan.
1: Thankfully not.
0: (laughs) And the other question that that sort of begs is that Kreutzer has this fantastically well-equipped laboratory in Buenos Aires. Why isn't he ironing all the problems out with his system in Buenos Aires? I can appreciate why they, need, they eventually need to come to Europe to be able to trigger off this nuclear war, that they're going to be the only ones that will survive because they have this freezing technology that means that they can outlast the radiation. Are they not a bit early in sending their people across and they, they want to get their science ironed out? And secondly, if they have snarled up the science with Villy, what would encourage any of the others to try it again?
2: Well, their wannabe furor is clearly impatience and arrogance. Uh, I like the idea, I suppose, that they're, they're sending someone across as the big test. We, they might have done months of tests over in Argentina, but they need to get out of the laboratory and into the, uh, into the problems of a sea voyage to test whether it works or not. I suppose the other thing is um, there's this weird bit in the middle where there's a fortnight that passes in the middle of the story with no real sense of time passing. But I suppose that is carrying an actual dead body.
1: I'd forgotten that bit, yes. Because uh, um, doesn't Keel, he, he has a sort of Fortnite perspective uh, to perfect his Teuton accent, doesn't he?
0: Yes. Munich accent, I think. Steed being able to have enough input into the group to be able to set up Keel turning up as Fisher and for them to believe him, believe that he's going to be who he is. And. If Steed knows that much about the group and is able to to Im- infiltrate information to them that effectively, why is he sending in an amateur? and Why does he say, oh, we need to send a doctor over? Why couldn't they say, we need to send another soldier or whatever over and use one of his own agents? That That bit didn't really make sense.
2: No, perhaps they thought that a doctor, because it's a scientific experiment, might be a better idea for infiltration.
0: Possibly. I mean, again... This episode kind of shows that Keel this time, but none of them are actually any good at undercover work. <laughs> yes, <laughs> because particularly when he to give a, whatever he does and wherever he goes, and apparently Keel has learned from the best, and his covers are bloody awful as well. Or they know that information coming in from Steed's organisation is as ropey as it is, and they, they don't believe that he, he's who he says he is. Right in the word go. Well,
2: they're clearly suspicious anyway. But it doesn't take them long to work out who the real Keel is. Uh, no, I think it
1: takes them about 0. 0.3 of a second. How much of this is taken from
0: scripts and things from the time, or how how much of this is big finished finished invention?
2: I think this is one from the actual script.
0: I mean, I'm assuming so because it was volume four of the um, the CDs, and it the scriptless ones tend to come later on, don't they? And do we know why there, why there was such a big gap between production and transmission? Because up until now, it's just been a few days, whereas this is a couple of months.
1: There was a gap so that another series could finish. If I can just skim back through my notes. Um, after they broadcast Kill the King, they had a gap because the ABC programme controller had struck a deal with ATV uh, so they could finish the drama series Deadline Midnight. So apparently, Kill the King actually ended with the caption, Avengers Returns on December the 9th. So that was why there was such a, a big gap. It was still as another series finish its run.
2: It occurred, One of the things I meant to mention earlier when I was thinking about uh, why this was ahead of its time for the Avengers is that one of the biggest tropes or plot lines that the Avengers returns to is, to quote the final Avengers episode, A Dead Man Who Wasn't Dead and very often you'll get this recurring motif of uh, someone who is thought to be alive is actually dead, someone who is thought to be dead is actually alive. I can't think of another example, I think there might be another, but I can't think of it, in the first series where this is a major plot point, and as well as the, the sheer ambition of the story, uh, that that line of a dead man who isn't dead is a is a major Avengers idea that will come back again and again
0: and again. I think of all of the Avengers episodes that we've seen so far in season one, this is the one that kind of lays the groundwork for the more fantastical elements that will start to come in in season two.
1: Yeah, you've alluded to that before. Um, And I think I I do agree with you, actually. This is the first one where there's been that science fiction element. Up until now, they have all been... Espionage to, to greater and lesser degrees with, with little bits of uh, quirks thrown in, but they, they have all been spy dramas, effectively. Uh, this is the first one where there's been a, a science fiction element. Uh, coming on well, to this, You could si- argue
0: that there is in Nightmare as well, um, but it's not as overt as in this.
1: Uh, true, but it's not beyond the realms of fancy that there could be a psychotropic drug that does that, even at the time. Given that the, uh, the the sort of the drugs that were coming available at that time, so it's it would be slightly more plausible than somebody being frozen.
0: Um, I'm not sure when cryogenic science first started being talked about.
1: It's probably before then it because only- Walt Disney was uh, the, the cryogenics for, or certainly putting putting things on ice and putting them in stasis, or taking them to such a a level where they were suspended. The technology for that certainly existed, but for living things. Uh, I'm not even sure they can do that now. Certainly not. Um, I wouldn't have thought mammals, unless there's some research going on that I'm unaware of. But it's, it's one of those things that I do keep one eye on because it's, it does fascinate me. But that might, that's more your area than mine, I would think. Closer to.
0: Yeah, give me a second. I'm just. Um... Cryonics dates back to the work of people like James Lovelock in the early 50s.
1: Oh, so it wasn't too long prior to this then.
0: In the mid-1950s, he experimented with the cryopreservation of rodents, determining that hamsters could be frozen with 6% of the water in the brain crystallizing to ice with no adverse effects. Other organs were shown to be susceptible to damage. Cryopreservation was applied to uh, human materials beginning in 1954 with three pregnancies resulting from uh, insemination of previously frozen sperm. And then nineteen sixty three, Peter Matsur in the in America demonstrated that lethal intracellular freezing could be avoided if cooling was slow enough to emit sufficient water to leave the cell during progressive freezing.
1: Little science lecture thrown in there, boys and girls.
0: Yeah, it's not absolutely outside the realms of possibility because there were there was science looking into it at the time. And like Alex says, this isn't freezing with the intention of preserving somebody to be woken up in 50 years' time or whatever, this is freezing with the intention of being woken up in a couple of weeks' time.
1: Though it
2: might be for longer with the nuclear war as well. Ah, mm.
1: oh, yes, that aspect of the plot. You know, let's freeze all the Nazis until there's a big nuclear war and everybody's dead. Hmm. It might be a slight flaw it's all in that bit, plan.
0: It's all, that's all getting a little bit Iron Sky, isn't it?
1: <laughs> the last point I want to make, actually, is on the um, the sound design. As I've already said, that there's um. There's some questionable, very RP German accents that sneak through here and there. And the pronunciation of the names, uh, I notice, varies to such an extent that Weber become Webber. Uh, I think at one point, Steed even refers to uh, Weber as, as Webster. Now, whether that's a, an original script error or not, or whether it's just snuck through in the recording, I wouldn't like to say. But there is, and I've noticed this on the past few Avengers releases, there's been a real distracting rumble in the background of certain scenes, like a lorry going past. Now, I listen to to these through um, big headphones. I I like to sort of be immersed in the the audio of them. And it's really noticeable. Now, I thought in the last episode, Kill the King, that was all to do with conjuring up background flavour, but it, it happens in this one in certain scenes as well. So I'm just wondering whether that's something that the studio that they recorded in suffered from, or whether somebody was recording from home at the time, which I doubt, because it was 2017, this one, I think. Those are the only things, the only niggles I've got with the sound design. But as ever, it's up to big Um, finish standard on the whole. It it conjures up. There's not a lot of soundscape to conjure up in this one. It's not. uh, There's no great expansive sets to to reproduce but it it does the job it was just those two two aspects
0: i didn't really notice a problem with it to be honest i thought it sounded as good as all of the other episodes have sounded
2: uh i didn't notice but i probably wasn't paying enough attention for it
0: you know ken's an audio engineer so he picks up on these things that that i don't because it's what he's trained to do
2: no i'm just hyper aware of the ships going by outside my window while (laughs) while
1: i'm talking to you oh they're not being picked up you don't need to worry yeah yeah, it's a very, very minor niggle and uh, and not really worth paying attention to because the vast majority of people probably won't listen to them in through Bose headphones and listening for every little nuance of the sound design. I, I think, on the whole, Big Finish do an absolutely splendid job. The sound is always crystal clear. The sound design is brilliant. The soundscapes that are conjured up by all the different engineers are... They're always fairly spot on. There's, there's not been many over the years where I've thought, that's a bit ropey. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a minor niggle.
0: Just finally to say, it was quite unusual that they uh, they introduced uh, the character of Ines who was obviously supposed to be the the female accompanying character for the episode. Do you think that she's going to be there front and centre and involved in what's going on? And then she's just suddenly killed off. And that that came across as, as quite sudden.
1: Uh, when she went, actually, I was looking through the cast list on the back of the CD thinking... Right, it's time to play spot the stiff here and start ticking them off as they die. Uh, but I think I think she was the only one, wasn't she? Or did Willie die in the end?
0: No, Willie's told that he's going to die. Hmm, that was it. Um, Dr Brennan dies.
1: Oh, very much, yeah. Oh, yes, he does, yeah.
0: When Dr Brennan dies and they they discover his body, Keel doesn't seem particularly affected that this decades-old friend that he went to medical school with and played played rugby with is... On a slab in front of him.
2: And equally, he doesn't seem very affected by the death of Inesh, given that a, uh, it's another woman that he's attracted to, and probably the first since his fiance was murdered, and she's just been murdered too.
1: Oh, there was a woman in Geneva. There was a woman, in, was the woman Geneva, in Geneva. Yeah. On the plane whose name I can't remember. Um,
0: the, the name was Yvette because I oh, made the God. LOLO joke. I, I just I can't just can't remember which episode it is. Um, it's the one with the taxidermy.
1: One for it? the mortuary, isn't it? It is. Yes. Yeah. That was a real good one. That's uh, that's I think that's still my favorite of the whole series. But on that note, shall we rate this in Masterminds? Alex, I'm going to start with you. On a scale of one to five, how many masterminds would you give this?
2: Well, I think in terms of the Avengers overall, I'd probably say about four masterminds. But in the context of series one, what we can make of it, the the Big Finish audio versions, I think it's in my... Four or five favourites, so I probably have to give it five. So as not to be unfair, I think along with the likes of Kill the King and Nightmare, which I know you liked, and Ashes of Roses, which I know you didn't.
1: Well, you're coming at this uh, from a, a completely different angle, so that is something different. I'm going to. Um, I wasn't bored by this, but I wasn't overly struck by it. I did think that the for the first two thirds of it, I was a little bit. Oh, come on, guys. Uh, I've heard all this before. And then at the end of Act Two, you had this, oh, ears prick up, something completely different, body wakes up. So uh, it's not a classic for me. It's a bit middle of the road. I'm going to give it a three. Um, It's not to damn it with faint praise. I just wasn't blown away by it compared with some of the others we've had from Series One so far.
0: Oh, okay. I really enjoyed this. I thought it crackled along. I thought it had a... An interesting plot, little over heavy on characters, but they weren't tripping over each other. I think it's the one that I've enjoyed the most so far on audio. It's the first one that I've, I've been tempted to think, should I be giving this a five? But partly because I'm comparing, I'm thinking about it in comparison to what I know is going to come. And if I give this a five, then I'll be giving pretty much everything from um, <laughs> to season three onwards a five. And also, there are inconsistencies. There are bits of the plot that don't really make too much sense. Because of that, I'm going with a four. But it's the first one that I've thought, should I be thinking about a five for this?
1: Well, I'm very glad that you two enjoyed it so much. I'm, I shall take a back seat for this one and let you two bask in the, the beauty of it.
2: I'm glad you woke up when the corpse did.
1: <laughs> um, I So am I, to be honest. It was, like I say... Up until that point, I'd just seen it as standard Fourth Reich stuff, uh, where another adventure story where the Nazis want to resurrect the the Reich and there'll be some sort of Fuhrer-esque hiding in the background. But I was not expecting, in 1961, a cryogenic suspension story in The Avengers. So it did, you know, body waking up that's supposedly dead. Yes, I did think that was a real nice twist to come two-thirds of the way in.
2: I do like that the Fuhrer wannabe is really bad at it, which is quite topical.
1: (laughs) (laughs)
0: Oh, don't get him started on Brexit.
1: Don't get me started on Brexit. Have you heard yourself, man? On that note, I shall sign us off. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We hope that we have educated, entertained, and informed you. Thank you, Alex, for joining us for this podcast. It's been great to have you Thank you very much for having me on. We shall be back next week when we're looking at episode 24, The Deadly Air. Until then, thank you very much, boys and girls. Ta-ta. Bye now.
0: Bye. They'll be back. You can depend on it.
1: Kinky Boots featured Simon Exton and Ken Moss, with thanks to Studio Canal, Big Finish Productions and Alan Hayes. Title music was performed by Honor Blackman and Patrick McNee. And the programme was produced by Maverick Productions. Come and get those kinky boots, boots, kinky boots. For more information, please visit maverickproductionsuk.blogspot.com or find us on social media.